Welcome to the Things I Preach to Myself About podcast. I'm your host, Rich Vangen, and today I want to talk a little bit about surrendering. As I've been studying through Psalm 103, I can't help but think about people who live their life without God. They run through life completely without God. They do everything without a thought of God. Yet when calamity strikes, they shake their fist at God and question why. Now, people will give a multitude of reasons why they don't follow or believe in God. But the underlying issue why they won't surrender to the God of the Bible is this. They like their sin and they don't want to give it up. People know that God exists. In Romans 1.19, it states that what is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And Acts chapter 14 explains to unbelievers that in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. In what he did, he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This all showing that it's not a matter of knowing if God exists but a matter of whether people will acknowledge him or not. Now, I'm convinced that there's no such thing as an atheist. It's just a title claimed by those who don't want to face up to God. They all secretly know deep down that there is a God. It's just that they prevaricate when the topic arises. If people have a knowledge of God, whether they accept it or not, why on earth wouldn't they want to know the creator of all things? Or how could a rational person think that they can just exist just fine without recognizing the source of all things, God? Does humanity have such an arrogance that they think there won't be consequences of their selfish actions? Part of the blame, I think, is that a complacent life is fueled by excess comforts. Most don't think that they need God in their life because they have what they need. Jesus taught in Matthew 5.45 that he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, since people feel that there isn't any issue in life, they can continue on, wandering the earth to and fro, doing whatever their heart desires. Unfortunately, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, as it says in Jeremiah. So, What if the creature comforts in life are removed? What you would see then are people who would start to complain about how unfair and unjust life is. If you need further examples of that, just read the dialogues between Job and his three friends. When we look around the world, we see with with obviousness that not every person has the same allotments. Some have excess riches and material things. Some live in abject poverty and suffer daily for even a morsel of food. And then there are the majority who are in the middle, wanting, but yet not without. I think the Israelites in the Old Testament, and and like how they were provided so much from God, yet they continued to live their lives as if God wasn't around. There was a cyclic process with them. 
follow God, get comfortable, forget God, face judgments, repent, follow God, get comfortable, and over and over again. We can easily see where they took their eyes off of God when they were the most comfortable. And we can also see when they turned their eyes back to God during their great discomforts. And so it is with people today. People live day to day with their comforts and give no recognition to the true source of these gifts. That is, until calamity strikes. As a military veteran, I often heard the phrase, there are no atheists in foxholes. Everyone under fire wants to reach out to a higher power for help, comfort, and to deliver them from the trials they're facing. When people are taken out of their comfort zones, facing challenges that look daunting, the natural inclination is to cry out for help. And as tough as some people think they are, when faced with disaster or conflicts, they will often look for others to stand with and support. As the Israelites would often do, they would cry out to God for salvation from their problems. And so do many people today. When floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, and the like hit, people all have one thing in common. They call out upon God. So, we don't want God when we're enjoying life, but want God when life is throwing problems. Hmm. When Jonah ran from God after he was called to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, he didn't want to go, and subsequently was tossed into the ocean and swallowed by a great fish. We all know the story. Now, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, is an example of how many people react when faced with hardships. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answers me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So you see the pleading, the begging, the crying out to God during times of unrest. Verse 9 concludes that prayer with Jonah's promise to God if, you know, if God would deliver him. It says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We've all heard the stories of people who are facing adversity. They call out to the very God they ignore in their daily lives, oftentimes make promises to him that, if he delivers them from their strife, that they will do such and such in return. I call this desperate negotiations. The Israelites were masters of this. They would be troubled, whether as a punishment from God for apostasy or needing correction from waywardness, and God would rise up a prophet who would come along and let them know that God wasn't happy with them. Unfortunately, many times they would ignore the warnings and wind up facing God's wrath. So no matter what problems we face, whether they are consequences of our actions or just naturally occurring disasters, we all want God's deliverance. But God isn't just there for us in the storms. He is the same God that is there in the prospering light as well. He isn't a cosmic vending machine to dispense mercies at our calling. 
He is the God who created all things for his glory and his worship. And until we get a proper perspective of who God is, we may be drawing his wrath rather than his mercies. People tend to have such a narrow view of God and try to put him in a box defined by themselves and use him as their personal puppet. Sadly, many professing Christians do this very thing. They have a humanistic viewpoint of the God of the Bible and their approach is flippant at best. To have this irreverent attitude and callous demeanor is truly an insult to God. He is holy. And we are to keep this in perspective when we even think about approaching his throne. From the Old Testament to the New, there are numerous examples of God's declaration of how we are to have reverence towards him. Everything from keeping his Sabbaths and reverence of his sanctuary, like in Leviticus 19, to keeping his commandments, Deuteronomy 5. God continually explains to us that he alone is God the great I am. We are to worship him as God. Jesus taught that when we pray, we are to first acknowledge that he is our Lord, our Father in heaven, and that he alone is holy. The words, hallowed be thy name in Matthew 6. So not only do we need to revere his holy name, but we're to show that reverence by the way we live. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says that. With the defilement of sins, we cannot approach the Lord, since sin is an abomination and detestable to his holiness. If we take serious his hatred of sin and his wrath that will be poured out on the unrepentant, we would be seeing God in a different light. There has to be a payment for sin, And the payment is a blood sacrifice. In the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to sacrifice an unblemished animal, shed blood, for their sins as an atonement. In the New Testament, God provided us the perfect sacrifice for atonement, his son Jesus. And by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are washed clean of our sins by his blood sacrifice. Jesus took our place and received the punishment for sin when he went to the cross. But as he is the Son of God, he passed through death and rose again to life, seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He paid the penalty for our sins, and he will be judge of all. Without him as Lord, you do face the wrath judgment of God. Which brings me back to the irreverent approach people have toward God. People are either living life denying God or claiming to know God but living life their way instead of the way that God demands. It says, You shall be holy for I am holy. Either way, we're all going to face a judgment before God. There will be no second chances. If you have Jesus Christ as Lord in your life, you will be saved from God's judgment. Until a soul recognizes their crimes against a holy God, they will not recognize their need for a holy God. 
It says Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You have choices in life. You may not be living in a catastrophe at the moment and the storms may be calm, but tomorrow is never promised. Just know that God will not accept a casual, on-and-off approach to him. He is the God of all or nothing. Living your life under your priorities and then pulling God in and out when it's convenient is not a walk of faith that is pleasing to God. In fact, God finds the prayers of the unrighteous to be insulting and detestable. John 9.31 says, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So to the denier, hiding your head in the sand doesn't make him go away. His patience is only for a season, and after that, the judgment. Eternity is a long time, my friend. And to the complacent, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There is no time like the present to fully surrender. The time is short, and we should never gamble with eternity. Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, verse 28. But he also said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus gives not only the gift of salvation from the wrath to come, peace within us for the storms we may face. In Luke 11, we're promised, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, we don't lose anything by rejecting the ways of this world. We gain happiness and joy and peace from God by having the assurance of knowing that God, through Jesus Christ, knows us, hears us, and is leading us to his celestial city. All we have to do is surrender our ways for his ways. Amen. This has been Things I Preach to Myself About podcast, and I thank you for listening and can hope and pray to our Lord and Savior Jesus that you will surrender completely everything to him and walk in his ways. And for instruction in how to walk in his ways, I plead, read the Bible. That's where God communicates to us. By his Holy Spirit, he opens those words to us and guides our steps. May the peace and love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
from God above, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bless you and keep you in all things. Amen.